But before I begin, I want to quote what three young people had to say about love when they were asked. Here's Jill, age, age six. Love is foolish, but I still might try it sometime. Here's Dave, age eight. Love will find you even if you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was five, but the girls keep finding me. <laughs> and my favorite, this is from Regina, age 10. I'm not rushing into love. Fourth grade's hard enough. <laughs> my sentiments exactly. Okay, I have a little song I'm going to open up with. It sort of fits my teaching today. Usually I reserve this song for little kids. Sure, well enough. <laughs> Here we go. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. 
It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And Lord, we pray this morning that you will reach into our hearts and share this message with everything that you can so we can feel the truth and the value of what it is we're going to learn today. So bless this congregation, Lord. Give us ears to hear and hearts that can receive what you will share with us today. In Jesus' name. It is said in all history, only Adam and Eve had the ideal marriage. That's because he didn't have to hear about all the men she could have married. <laughs> and she didn't have to listen to him talk about how his mother used to cook. <laughs> the rest of us had bigger problems than that. And this is why the Bible gives us some excellent advice on how to be better husbands and wives, and also just on how to be better people. So here we go. I like the way the Apostle Paul divided up the various qualities of love in his letter to the Corinthians. He tells them and us what love is, what it isn't, what it does, what it doesn't do, and what it never does. First, he tells us what love is. It's patient and it's kind. Sometimes when I'm performing a marriage ceremony, I will read this verse, love is patient, love is kind, to the couple, and I'll say, frankly, I think we can stop right here. That's because if people would just be patient and kind with one another, most of their problems would evaporate. Second, Paul tells us what love isn't. It isn't jealous. It isn't boastful. It isn't rude. It isn't self-serving. And it isn't hot-tempered. Third, Paul tells us what love doesn't do. It doesn't keep a longer list of other people's mistakes. And it doesn't find joy in dark and unsavory behaviors. Fourth, Paul tells us what love does do. It always cherishes and honors truth. It always protects and it brings comfort. It always assumes the best of others and of life. It always remains optimistic and confident, and it always strives to keep shining through no matter what. Fifth, and finally, Paul sums up everything with this golden nugget of what love never does. Love never fails. Love never fails. Interestingly, in the original Greek, the word fails literally translated is dies. Dies. In other words, love never dies. But figuratively, the phrase is rendered, love never falls away. Love never falls away. It alludes to a flower whose petals never fall off, a flower that is fragrant and in bloom forever. So love is many, many wonderful things. But most important, Paul is not writing about our love. Paul's not writing about our love. Our love often fails. Our love often falls short of these precepts. Sometimes we're patient, sometimes we're not. Sometimes we're kind, sometimes we're not. Sometimes we aren't easily angered. Sometimes we get furious just because one of our socks got lost in the wash. But, invariably, at some point, our love fails. Why? Because we're human. Because we're flawed. Because we're sinners. God's love. God's love is the only love that is always patient, that's always kind, that always protects, that always trusts, and so forth and so forth. So the key to a good marriage and to good relationships is to use God's love as our standard, to use God's love in place of our own. And we will do this. If we will seek his wisdom, 
his counsel, his guidance, and his love, then our marriage, our friendships, our relationships will just evolve naturally and beautifully into a flower whose petals never fall off, into a flower that stays fragrant and in bloom forever. Because God's love never fails. God's love never fails. An important note, too, in this teaching is in the King James Version of today's scripture, the word love is rendered charity. Charity. And here's how our text sounds with this change. First Corinthians, excuse me, 13.1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not charity, I'm a resounding gong or a clang clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not charity, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames and have not charity, I gain nothing. Charity is patient. Charity is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angry. It keeps no record of wrongs. Charity does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Charity never fails. And that's the way it's written in the King James Version. In the epistle, in this epistle, there is one powerful verse, which may be one of the most important verses in Scripture. Actually, it's in 1 Peter 4.8, and it reads, and hear me, Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. The dictionary definition of the word charity is the voluntary and unselfish giving of help to others in need with no thought of reciprocation. And that's the key. True love, real love, godly love, perfect love, charity is never conditional, is never expecting some kind of return, is always agenda free. Peter is saying above all things, that's A-L-L, all things, this means above all things we do as Christians, our love-based behavior is the single most important issue. Please hear me on this. As Christians, our love-based behavior is the single most important thing we do. He says, above all things, we must have fervent charity among ourselves. The word fervent here is fascinating. It's a Greek word, uh, ektenos. It means strained, stretched, intensely expanded beyond its normal limits. Charity is akapao. It means godly love, perfect love, grace-filled love. What this tells us is, and please hear me, nothing is more important to the body of Christ, to the heart of our church, than to love one another above all other, all other things, even if it takes everything we've got to do it. It's the key to everything. In his book, One Inch from the Fence, a man named Wes Seeliger wrote, I've spent long hours in the intensive care waiting room watching with anguished people, listening to urgent questions. Will my husband make it? Will my child walk again? How do you live without your companion of 30 years? The intensive care waiting room is different from any other place in the world, he goes on to say. And the people who wait there are different. They can't do enough for each other. 
No one is rude. The distinction of race and class melt away. A person is a father first, a black man second. The garbage man loves his wife as much as the university professor loves his, and everyone understands this. Each person pulls for everyone else. Each person pulls for everyone else. In intensive care, in the intensive care waiting room, he says, the world changes. Vanity and pretense vanish. The universe is focused on the doctor's next report. If only it will show improvement. Everyone knows that loving someone else is what life is all about. And Seeliger asks, could we learn to love like that if we just realize that every day of life is a day in the waiting room? It's fascinating. It's fascinating. I didn't know where I found this, but it fascinates me. In other words, our bodies will fail, but love never fails. Love never fails. Perhaps you're wondering how you can access God's charity, God's perfect love. Well, it's really very easy. You just ask Him for it. You just ask Him for it. You just pray. You just say, Lord, fill me to overflowing with your perfect love so that I give, can give it away to everyone you can in my path. Fill me up. Fill me up. Frankly, I pray this every day, every single day. Why? Because I want people to see God, not me. Because I want people to hear God, not me. Because I want people to know God, not me. And because I want people to love God, not me. That's because His love is the only perfect gift I can give them. There was an item in a church bulletin that read, Irving Benson and Nancy Carter were married on October 24th in the church. So ends a friendship that began in school days. I think what he meant was, so consummates a friendship that began in school days. But that's not what this says. It says that inadvertently their marriage ended their friendship. And I hope it didn't, but it brings up an important point. You see, we all have a picture of the perfect partner, but we marry an imperfect person. Then we have two options. One, tear up the picture, or two, tear up the person. Guys, gals, tear up the picture. Tear up the picture. It's not allowing you to find the fullness in your relationship. Tear up the picture. We need to do our best throughout our lives, in all our relationships, listen, to accept people's flaws, to accept people's faults, to accept people's shortcomings, their limits, their idiosyncrasies, their inadequacies, their challenging behaviors, and instead to choose to allow God's perfect love, His charity, to help us become increasingly more sensitive, more caring, more thoughtful, more gracious, and especially more forgiving towards others. After all, how can we refuse to forgive others when God has so graciously forgiven every one of us? Finally, there's a verse of scripture that I'm particularly fond of which is just a little bit ahead of us in this chapter, and it goes like this, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, even, I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. In short, in this life, we really can't understand or see what's happening all around us. It's all blurry. It's all strange. But this much is certain. When we finally meet our Savior face to face, we will know and understand everything that we've been through. 
everything that there is. You will come to terms with, oh, now I see it. Now I see why everything happened. Now I see why you made those, those decisions. It's his promise that we're going to know everything. In the meantime, in the meantime, while we're still looking through this dark mirror, he has given us three things to sustain us. He has given us faith, hope, and love. Faith in what? Faith in the Bible. Faith in God's word. Faith in his promises. Faith in his prophecies. Faith that he, his son, and his Holy Spirit are everything that the Bible claims them to be. You can't hear this enough, but you know what, Dan? It's all real. It's all true. Everything in the Bible is there for a reason. Everything in the Bible was written by God himself. So we have faith. We have faith. But he's also given us hope. Hope in what? Hope in heaven. Hope in heaven. Hope in salvation. Hope that we're really going to go there. Hope that when we leave this world, all of us will join our Savior in eternal peace, eternal plenty, eternal joy, eternal rest in paradise forever and ever. In fact, the word hope is a little misleading in this because it's not really what it means. It really means comfort. It really means comfort. In other words, we don't hope that heaven exists. We know it does. And knowing this gives us incredible comfort as we dwell in this valley of the shadow of death. It's only called hope because we can't reach out and touch it. So to sustain, us in, to sustain us in this darkness, in this confusion, in this world, God has given us faith. He's given us hope. But above all, he's given us love. Whose love? Our love? No. His love. His love. And the greatest of these is love. In other words, the greatest gift of all is charity. Charity. And this is where everything comes together. You see, our love is a feeling, but God's love is a decision. Hear me on this. Our love is a feeling, but God's love is a decision. So when the Bible says, above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, what God means is we should all constantly choose, constantly choose to love one another, constantly choose to forgive one another, constantly choose to help one another, constantly choose to serve one another. We need to use God's love, his charity, to choose to put an end to any and all anger, bitterness, dissension, indignation, resentment, animosity, hostility, or anything else that tries to divide us as brothers and sisters in the Lord, or that tries to separate us from our non-believing friends, relatives, and neighbors. See, God's love is the key substance to all the fruits of the Spirit. It's the key substance to all the fruits of the Spirit. Listen to this. Joy is love celebrating. Peace is love relaxing. Patience is love waiting. Kindness is love doing. Goodness is love being. Faithfulness is love obeying. Gentleness is love serving. Self-control, I like this, is love winning. And that's love, that's charity, and that's God's perfect love. And that's why his love never fails. And so, Father, we want to thank you that you have such a great love for us. Help us learn how to use your love for other people. Help us remove anything and everything that taints your love in this, in this room, Lord, in this church. Let us be doing what you want us to be, just sharing readily and lovingly with everybody and not keeping burning uncomfortable issues 
in secret. So Lord, help us just start a new way of being to shed love on everybody. Use your love to make this the most beautiful place we can use it. We ask this in Jesus' name. I have one more slide for you. And it's neither bulletin. And boy, this can't tell you how often this stuff works itself into what I'm thinking about. Because it's absolutely 100% true. There we go. God forgave us. Thank you. 